So I mentioned this last week, but we're going to kind of have somewhat of a different structure than we did when we were looking at Philemon and Colossians in terms of our class. So we'll spend just a couple minutes off the top here recapping last week and just sort of re- reminding ourselves of some stuff. And then we'll pretty much dive right into the text. And we'll be looking at from verse 10 to about verse 24 of chapter 1 of the book of Galatians, as I mentioned. And so uh, we covered verses 1 through 9 last week, 1 through 9, 1 through 10. And we're going to deal with verses one, uh, 10 through 24, mostly as one section. And so uh, before we, we dig dig into it in the, the, the next text, someone remind me of just uh, one of the things we talked about uh, from verses 1 through 9. What are some of the things we looked at last week? If you need reminding, you can find it in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. <laughs> False teaching, turning to the turning to another gospel. God, yeah. Certainly, he starts his letter quite uh, uh, harshly. We could almost say in verse six. Yeah, and this idea of no other gospel. And Paul even says, you know, even if uh, an angel brings to you a different gospel than I preached to you, let him be accursed. And so, really, we just talked about how in these first few verses, Paul is already uh, setting. Uh, kind of the theme or the tone for the whole letter. He, he starts off with a, a very rebuking word, with this rebuke of you know not turning away from the gospel. And just the phrasing of that sentence that we kind of highlighted of, in verse 6, of that and even if we are an angel should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we have brought, let him be accursed. So it, in saying that, he's really saying that all things ought to be subject to God's word. That there is nobody who is above or equal to or who can supplant or, or overrule uh, what the Word of God says. And, and so that was really our focus last week. And uh, we're going to – we'll take a second to talk about verses 10 through 12. But then, like I said, we'll deal with the rest of the chapter really as one section. So we'll jump right into the text. We'll talk about all this stuff in this next section for about 20 minutes. And then after that, for about 15 minutes, I'll have some slides and some notes uh, we'll kind of add to that. So someone go ahead and read for us uh, verse 10, 11, and 12. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, we're going to see exactly what he means by verse 12 in a minute when we start reading verse 13. Um, But the reason I'm dealing with 10 through 12 separately is depending on your translation, uh, verses 10 and 11 are either part of verses 6 through 9, or they're a part of this next long section that finishes up the chapter. But really you can see in those sections, in those few verses we just read, that he's really transitioning from uh, the first half of chapter 1 to what's going to constitute the rest of chapter 1. You know, he, he talks about not bringing the gospel. He's talked about his, his own apostolic authority. He's kind of hinted at that. And he says, you know, if, if anybody brings you different than what I have told you, let him be accursed. And he adds on to that, am I seeking the approval of men or of God? And he says, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. And so if you think about Paul's life, and he's, again, this is kind of, he's already foreshadowing what he's going to tell us in the next few verses there was a time in his life where he sought to please men, right? There was a time in his life where he was heavily involved in Judaism. He was heavily involved in those who persecuted the church. 
And so he's kind of saying, look, if my goal is to make these religious elites happy or these religious so-called leaders happy, I would still be doing the things I used to do. But my, my goal is to please Christ because my mission is from Christ, because the gospel is from Christ. And he tells us specifically in verse 12 that his, his mission, which is preaching the gospel, he, he didn't receive it from any man. He wasn't taught it, but he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about there? Yes, exactly. I mean, if, if either if we look ahead in chapter 1 or if you just tell me the most famous thing you know about Paul, it's that he was converted on the road to Damascus, right? And so we'll see as we keep reading that that story really becomes the focus of the rest of the chapter. And so we'll talk about his conversion. We'll talk about why it's relevant to the Galatians. And then we'll talk a little bit about what exactly it can mean to us. So uh, we'll read this in sections. Someone read for us verse 13 through 17. Okay, so we'll, we'll pause there for a second, but what is, what's he talking about? He's talking about his own conversion account, right? And, and we have this elsewhere in the Bible. If, in, in, when we're done reading this section, we're actually going to look at Acts 9. But what stands out to you from what he's told of in, in terms of him telling his own conversion account in those few verses? What stands out to you just from verses 13 through 17 so far? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're dead on. Verses 13 and 14 sound a whole lot like what he says in Philippians. I think is where that comes from. And I appreciate you bringing that up. That Yeah, when he says, you know, I, I was to the law of Pharisee. I was under at the feet of Gamaliel to, uh, to I think, to the something of the law blameless. But he's kind of saying similar things here to just say, look, if, if anyone took more pride in the Jewish law, it was me. But I'm actually going to tell you, don't listen to those who are telling you to obey the Jewish law. And so if you remember last week, we talked about just the controversy that was going on at the time that we read from Acts 15 about. And just these, these really, he calls them Judaizers that were trying to tell these Gentile Christians that, hey, you need to hold on to all these tenets of the law. And Paul was saying, no, you don't need to do that. And he's kind of saying, and here's why. Not only do I have this apostolic authority on this mission from Christ, as we've been reading about for the first several verses of the chapter, but in verse 13 and 14, he's also saying, and I, I am actually, you can trust me in this as an authority on the law. Like if, if anybody should be out here telling you to obey the law, it's me. And he's saying, and I'm telling you the law is worthless. What else? What else? What else do you just notice about those few verses? Verse 13, and he straight up says that he persecuted the church and 
mm. rather than destroy it. And now he's you know, sitting here writing letters to other churches trying to fix them. Yes, just again, that before and after contrast. And, I, and I'll tell you, it is something, I think we touched on this a little bit in Colossians somewhere, but it's something that even the most secular of historians have a hard time sort of explaining, and that is that this man who was uh, Saul of Tarsus was well-known, well-established, had a strong reputation among those who persecuted the church, and yet something happens that turns him into one of the biggest proponents for this new Christian movement, so much so that he actually dies for the sake of spreading the gospel. And if you're going to reject his own account as to why that happens, which is, of course, this revelation that happens to him through Jesus Christ, you have a really hard time explaining this random turn in this guy's life, right? Like, if we're trying to deny Jesus' involvement in Paul's life, his life really ceases to make any sense. That he was, in this, he was on this team, and he wasn't just on this team, but he was leading the charge, right? And then one day something just snaps and he says, you know what? Actually, I think all that is wrong, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life fighting against it. If you, if you try to take away the revelation that came to Jesus from him, you really... You have to deal with that. Go ahead. The Holy Spirit brought the gospel to the apostles. He didn't bring it to one foot from the whole. He brought the same gospel to all of them. Then when he was on the way to, when Paul Saul was on the way to Damascus, people say, oh, Christ stopped him and saved him right then. No, he didn't. I think it was the third day before he was baptized while Tyrus Sao Paul rise and be baptized mm-hmm. and wash away that sin. Then the Spirit brought the gospel to him. Well, and we'll get Same into the... God. We're going to read Acts 9 when we're done reading this section, so we'll get into the details of it. But you, you bring up something that he actually also hints at, that he says, you know, Jesus called... He essentially says, God or, or Christ called me directly. Christ was revealed to me directly. I didn't consult with anyone. I didn't go up to the apostles. And what he's essentially saying there is that you know, nobody taught me this secondhand. Again, if we remember last week how much time we spent talking about apostolic authority, he's saying, look, I didn't go to the Peter and James and John and sit at their feet and learn the gospel from them. But he said, I was on the road doing my own thing when, when God actually called me out. He set me apart. Um, the, depending on your translation, the verse, I lost it. But it says he, he uh, was, was set apart from his mother's womb. Um, I don't love uh, the way the King James word, words that. It says, separated me from my mother's room. It almost sounds like God like reached down and ripped him out of the womb. But with, separated there is actually this Hebrew word that means like consecrated. Or I think most of the time we see it rendered as set apart. And from is not like taken out of, but from is sort of chronological in the sense that he's saying, since the time that I was in my mother's womb, God has consecrated me for his purpose. And so I just, when I was reading the King James and it says separated from my mother's womb, I'd see a bit more violent imagery there than what he's actually trying to communicate. So he's saying, you know, since the time I was still in the womb, God set me apart uh, to accomplish this purpose, to, to call me to this purpose. And he's, Strong says it is to mark off from others my balance. Hmm. I like that. It's, it's, very, it's very intentionally reminiscent of anything that was... Uh, consecrated in sort of an, an old Mosaic law fashion when, when something would be set apart for God or, you know, the idea that, look, this is, we talked about this not long ago in, in the whole conversation on giving, you know, when you set apart or you store and lay in store, it's 
it's intentional, it's purposeful, and this idea of being set apart with this purpose is really what Paul's getting at. Um, Yes, 100%. We're all separated from our mother and born into a world of sin. We're not born in sin, we're born to sin, and we stand when we become accountable of accountability. And through the grace of God, we become Christians. We don't become Christians on our own, we don't become Christians on account of the world. But through the grace of God, we have the right to obey Him. That's a good point, and it's, it's also really the point of verse 15. If you're reading verse 15, Paul is not actually the subject of verse 15. It is, if you look at all of the action words in kind of that section, it is God who sets him apart. It's God who called him. It was to, to God's grace. It was God who revealed his son to me in order that I might preach God among the Gentiles. And so you're right that, you know, even in his own telling of his, like if there's anything in Paul's life that's like, he has a chance to sort of make about himself, and we all do this. Like we, we love conversion stories, right? We love good conversion stories. But even in this dramatic, as dramatic a conversion story as you're going to find, Paul doesn't make it about him at all because he knows he was just traveling down the road when a, a light from heaven appeared to him. And so even in his own telling of events, it's all, all, all about what God, the work God is doing in his life. Let's go ahead and keep reading. Let's read, uh, someone read for us verses 18 through 24. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. It was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formed us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of him. So those those last few verses uh, they, it, on an initial reading, I think there can be kind of like, why is he telling us this? Why does it matter? Why is he trying to distance himself so much from the apostles, right? It seems kind of odd. But again, I, I want you to think about the, the context that we kind of talked about last week of these Judaizing teachers who were coming in, and they were really trying to discredit Paul. They were trying to say, well, well, maybe Paul knew the gospel, but he wasn't taught it completely. He, he knew it, but he was missing this other part that we're trying to tell you guys that you should have. Right, because they're they're trying to teach that they need all of these other uh, entrappings of the law, and so they would they'll sometimes make this kind of implication that well Paul knew some things but he didn't know everything and he just needs to be taught more. Well, by Paul appealing to Jesus, Paul's point kind of is, I couldn't have had a better teacher of the gospel. I couldn't have had a better, more full gift of the the gospel, and so. You'll notice that when we talk about Paul's life, we go to Acts 9 and Acts 15 and some of these scenes in Acts. Well, one thing you know about Acts is it's after the Gospels, so Jesus is gone. So, so Paul really didn't have the overlap with Jesus that Peter and John and James did during his life. So it left room for some people to try and question Paul or try and question his authority. And so he goes to great lengths to really emphasize that, no, look, I, I understand that I, maybe you're going to tell me I didn't see him in the flesh, but I'm actually telling you I did. Like I, I saw him appear to me on the road. And so um, I'll pause for a second if there's any other thoughts on those last few verses, uh, but start turning to Acts 9. We're going to read Paul's conversion account from Acts 9. Well, we touched upon like the beginning of last week about how he started the book. 
look out different, but normally starts a, a bond servant of Christ. And this, he's a, he, an apostle of Christ. Mm. And he's establishing his authority, and he's continuing to do so. And he's, you know, he's saying, you know, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And and, and, and here's why I know what I'm talking about, and y'all ain't listening. <laughs> yeah, and it's. I think I heard one commentator say it's it's a holy kind of pride, and we might. I know sometimes we shun from even using the word pride at all, and but yes, normally Paul starts his letters out with full humility of a servant, a bond servant, a slave for the gospel, um, but now he's, he's leaning on that authority a little bit. I've heard kind of some good wisdom given to me in one of my classes that they said, you know, when you're young and you're going into ministry, there's going to be a, an inclination in you to sort of to not want to put yourself on a pedestal. And they said, don't. Don't get big-headed. Don't get full of yourself. Don't be content. They said, but when you're trying to teach people, use that to your advantage a little bit. When you're trying to share with somebody or you're trying to maybe correct somebody in a certain behavior, and what they, or what they would say is, you know, when you're spreading, when you're teaching the word, stand on the pedestal a little bit. <laughs> Lean into the microphone a little bit. Be willing to exert not necessarily your own authority, but the authority that is in the word that you are giving. And so that's really what we see Paul doing here. Excellent point. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, read there. I'm still turning there. But someone go ahead and uh, let's see what did I write down. Acts, someone read for us Acts 1 through 9. Acts 9, verse 1 through 9. So, for the sake of time, we're not going to read the entirety of Paul's conversion account, but I at least wanted to read that because he makes reference to it. And, and just kind of a note, um, because I mentioned before that I, I wanted us to have a little bit more discussion in our class this time, because what I really want us to do is go home and feel more comfortable reading this on our own. Uh, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest things I hear from people when we talk about, you know, it, how often do you pray or how often do you read the Bible? I often hear from people, they pray more than they read, and I ask, why? And they say, well, because I don't know what I'm reading. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's talk about that. And sometimes we can work from there. Um, so my hope is by just the format of our class, it will make you feel a little bit more comfortable taking these kind of in-depth studies on your own. But the reason we're in Acts is because anytime you're in the Bible and you're, you're studying a specific passage or even a whole book like we are, look at parallel passages. If you're reading, just say you're doing a study out of the book of Mark, go look at what Matthew has to say or what Luke has to say or even what John has to say. Um, there's always some more details sometimes that are found in those parallel passages that can really flesh it out. 
And then, I mean, you might remember at the end of Colossians, we referenced often the, the end of Ephesians because he gives these commands to Christian households, right? And, and the same principles are found in both letters. They're both inspired. They're both written by Paul even. So we even have his same perspective. And so whether it's a topical study or it's a kind of a more of a story arc like we have with Galatians, uh, always try to look at other passages that talk about the same events. And so even though we are in a study of Galatians, we're going to make pretty frequent reference to the book of Acts to try and look at what was going on. What, what is the rest of this picture? Because as you remember last week, we talked about we're, we're getting kind of usually when you read the letters, you're getting one side of that phone conversation, right? You're sitting, somebody, you're sitting with somebody in the car and they're talking and you're only getting one end of it. Well, Acts can kind of help us piece together a little bit the other side of the conversation. So he says he received a revelation from Jesus Christ. And, of course, we know Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. He goes to Ananias' house. Ananias heals him, from, or heals him of his sight. And he even says he had this vision of Paul coming in. And Ananias, and Paul is so well known that Ananias even resists this a little bit. He says, Lord, are you... Like, this is one of those in, in verse uh, 13 is one of those I, was, I would like to be on the fly on the wall when God has brung someone to your door that you've had a vision of coming to your house. But you're kind of like, are you sure this is the right guy? Like, God, do you really know what you're doing here? Just like, yeah, I think I do. <laughs> yeah, I think I, have a, I think I know what I'm doing. He says, go for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. And look at the wording even already in Acts 9. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel. Something, again, just super important timeline-wise. Paul becomes convinced through this revelation that his mission is to go and preach specifically to the Gentiles. And if you read the book of Acts, there's a landmark event where Peter recognizes that, oh, we also need to be preaching to the Gentiles, except that moment's not until Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. Paul actually is given this mission in this revelation and in the first sort of few years of his ministry, he's tasked with not only carrying out this mission that God has given him, but kind of convincing the rest of the church leaders that this is the mission God has given him. Because the early church leaders, they, there's this revelation at Pentecost where, they, where Jesus tells them what's going to happen and it happens, but they're all Jewish because it's Pentecost. And so for the first 10 chapters of Acts, however long that is, the impression is that the church is only going to Jews. They're only going to other Jews and trying to tell them about the Messiah and trying to tell them how of this new thing God is doing. It's only through this, and if you, again, if you go and study Acts 10 and 11, it's only through a very dramatic repeated vision that even Peter, who if we're going to list the inner circle, Peter, inner circle of the disciples, we would hope Peter would be one of the ones the most knowledgeable, right? The one who would hopefully really knew what Jesus said. Peter is also the one who frequently puts his foot in his mouth and is very, very wrong. And unfortunately, this seems to be one of those things that it takes Peter a long time to, to open his eyes. And so we have that famous line at the end of Acts chapter 10, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so it's, it's not until that moment that the church leadership finally sees, Oh, we also need to be preaching to the Gentiles. Well, that, of course, brings up the new problem. So what do we do with these Gentiles? And so there's this battle that kind of takes place on how to handle these Gentile Christians from Acts 10 through Acts 15. But from his conversion, from right away, Paul understands that his, 
And the Lord even says to Ananias about Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. But it's very, very odd that he first lists the Gentiles. Because, But again, when you hear Paul talk about his ministry, we can flip back over to Galatians now. But even Paul in his own ministry says when he's talking about it in verse 16, he says, "...who was pleased to reveal my son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles." And so Paul knew very quickly, really immediately from this revelation is, is the implication, that his mission was not just to preach the gospel and not just to preach Christ, but specifically to preach Christ through the, through the Gentiles. And we see from Paul's ministry that that uh, pretty, pretty strongly comes to fruition. But I want us to understand that he kind of had this, this extra burden of having to convince the church leaders that it was right. And so there's a little bit of this, this conflict, which is probably also why he says, look, I, I didn't consult with anybody else. I didn't go to anybody else. But I actually went away and spent some time on my own before coming back to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter and remained with him for 15 days. And so, again, he, he's really trying to tell them that he's, he, when he says he's bringing a gospel that nobody else is, he means it even more literally than we've been talking about because he's saying, look, nobody else is trying to do what I'm trying to do right now. And that'll change later, and, and they'll come around to his way of thinking, so to speak. Think, we, we see that Paul's perspective wins out, but he is the early adopter of bringing Greeks into this. In the first few days of the churches, they didn't, they didn't really know about preaching to people who were not Jews. It was a very small circle thing. And so when he says, you know, those who are bringing you a different gospel, there are even those that he's kind of fighting that are maybe even church leaders. Maybe even people who are well-respected in the church who are trying to say, you know what, you need to, you need to follow the law, you need to get circumcised, you need to still all do these Jewish things, even though you're not Jewish. You need to basically do all of these Jewish things. And so Paul is kind of, in the early days of his mission at least, the only one really saying, no, this is not right. But if you look at it, how do, why is he so confident even when, because if you're familiar with Galatians, we'll get to his conflict with Peter in a moment, because Galatians 2 is going to more explicitly deal with Acts 15, which we read last week. But even when Paul is standing alone, he is perfectly confident. Why? Because of what he's saying right here. He's saying, I'm, I'm not guessing here. I'm not going off on my own. I'm not speaking for myself. But when, when Christ appeared to me on the road, he made it clear to me that my mission is to preach to this group of people, even if nobody else thinks we should. And so we see over and over that he says his confidence doesn't come from studying under the feet of the right person. It doesn't come from going to the right city or being educated in the right place. But he says, my confidence that this mission is correct and that it is God-given is because it, because it is, because God appeared to me. And so we, that is why he leans so heavily on his apostolic authority here in Galatians in chapter 1 because the problem they're facing and also just where we are in the timeline of Paul's life, if that makes sense in the timeline of the church. So he's really, really, I, I joke sometimes that we are not Lone Ranger Christians, but Paul right now in terms of the church leadership, he, he mm -hmm. seems to be an early adopter of bringing this God, of figuring this out. And it, it takes the other disciples a little bit more time. Thoughts or questions on, I kind of flipped right back from it, but thoughts, observations, or questions from Acts and how Acts kind of relates to what we're talking about. Well, 
not only is Paul just wanting to hold group talk with Gentiles, the people who've never heard of what he's fixing to talk about, he's also having to battle his own reputation before mm. the gospel. And you're basically battling a whole doctrine or structured church as far as the Jewish religion. So it wasn't just like if, if we meet on the street and I'm teaching you as a new person doctrine, which can be difficult enough if you have preconceived notions. He's got to fight against what people already perceive him as and against what's already a structured, accepted church or doctrine hmm. going on there. So, yeah, and then you say on top of that, he's doing it by himself. It, it's important to see how much determination he had there. And you talk about his confidence. That's a lot of confidence to go out and play to not only just preach to people in their version, but to know that you're also going to have to fight against everything you've done in your past. Plus, uh, what is it the accepted religious you know, status quo is not? There's a lot in, in, in all of that in just that, those verses of what he's fixing to do. Yeah, you bring up a great point that he's, he's fighting for his reputation. He's fighting against preconceived notions because, yes, it's, you bring up something really important to remember, and that is that later in his life, Paul starts to become the person we know him as now. Uh, but Galatians is Galatians and First and Second Thessalonians are right around the same time, interchangeably, some of the first letters he writes. So at the time of even writing this, nobody knows who Paul is. If he says up and says, Hi, I'm Paul, a disciple of Christ. I'm like, I know James, I know Peter, I know John, I know Matthew, I even know Judas. I do not know Paul. Who are you? And you bring up a good point that he's, he, again, we sit here in not just an area where Christianity is most known, but like, I don't meet a lot of, this sounds so mean, that's not how I mean it. I just don't meet a lot of Jewish people in western Tennessee, middle Tennessee. I think I've met like five in my life in general. If we went to Eastern Europe, if we went further in different countries, that would be a different conversation. But, but even Judaism as a whole, we probably just don't have a ton of appreciation for because there's just not a lot of folks who are Jewish around here. But if you were religious, you were either Roman and doing all their stuff, or you were Jewish. There was not really anything else. You were the state religion that everybody else was, or you were these weirdos who were grandfathered in. Who were Jewish. So if you were not Roman, if you believed, if you tried to tell anybody about the law or Yahweh God or Moses or any of that, they'd be like, oh, you're one of the Jews. And Paul is, you're right. He, so he's fighting against something that has momentum of its own. And even if people have heard about Jesus, they have not really heard this, this teaching that Paul is trying to bring them. And so you make a great point that in the fighting of preconceived notions, really, Early stage ministry, Paul, is probably the closest to the experience we would have if we went out and evangelized. Because many of us, if we went to somebody in, in our world today, or at least around here, and we said, do you know about the Bible? They're like, oh yeah, you know about Christ, you know about God? They say, oh yeah, 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 I know all that stuff. And you say, okay, well, have you heard about these other teachings in the Bible? You're like, well, I don't know about that. I don't, what is, what is this I have to go to church every Sunday? I don't I'm pretty content doing whatever I want on Sunday. I like God and all, but I don't know about that. <laughs> what do you mean I have to be a part of a body of Christ? What, is, what do you mean I have to worship God in the way that he wants to be worshipped? Can't I just kind of do whatever makes me feel good? So, so we, if we, much like Paul, if we went out there to evangelize, we're fighting against people with a lot of preconceived notions, and, and that's really what Paul's doing. That's an excellent point. Can we deal with that today? I mean, because, you know, like you talked about Sunday night, and like he talks about early on, because he makes a point. He said, I was ever more zealous for the traditions mm. of my fathers. And because, you know, he's battling the Judaizers 
you know, and, and so he's establishing his authority as apostle, and, 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 you know, he's trying to weed out that, that corruptness of, of tradition that sneaks in yes. to, the, to, to the pure religious system that, that, mm -hmm. that God has created through Christ. And so he's got to establish his authority, and he's got to deal with this traditions of men. And so, you know, it's applicable to us today within the church, and it's applicable outside the church in denominations because of the, the, the caveat that following traditions of men, you know, the problems that it can cause. Yes. And, and, and considering traditions as religion, as, as gospel. Absolutely. And you mentioned, I don't know if I've said this explicitly before, but in reading the letter, something we notice is, again, he's writing to people he knows. He's writing to people he's been to before. And just by the way verse 4 is written, we understand that he went there, he spread the gospel, he, he converted these people, he left, and no sooner had he gone out the door than these new people came in and said, well, that's not really it. That's not the full picture. You also need all this other stuff. Because that's what most, even, even within the early church people, the people who would, that, that we would know, even they were still saying, yeah, you, you really should probably be Jewish. And if you're not Jewish, well, then just do all these things Jewish people do, and we'll deal with that later. And Paul is saying, no, you don't need all that. You, you don't need all that. So he's, he's really fighting a lot of battles, but he keeps going back to his, his revelation, his experience in encountering Jesus and how that powers his purpose. Um, There's something really interesting. I'm going to try really hard not to turn this into a study of Acts, but it's like one of my favorite books to study. We'll probably do a study of Acts at some point in the next couple of years. Uh, it's just long. <laughs> um, you say easily, and he does, but I think sometimes if I put myself in Paul's shoes, and I know I've been persecuting the church, and, I've, and I'm doing so zealously because I'm convinced I'm right, and I'm struck down blind, and Jesus says, I am the one you've been persecuting, my thinking is, when I, the, when I was studying this not that long ago, I thought, he's got to be thinking he's going to die. Like, he's got to be thinking, this is it. Like, okay, I, I went all in and I was wrong. My bad, my, my, I guess uh, this is it for me. I, I've been fighting to kill people who follow Jesus. I've been literally, just, I mean, just a couple chapters earlier, he sits at the feet of watching Stephen be stoned. And he's like, yes, this is a good thing. And then Jesus appears to him and says, I am the one you've been persecuting. I'm thinking he's he's got to be thinking this is it, I'm done. Especially when you're struck blind, it's like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm just if I'm kidnapped off the street and someone puts a blindfold on my head and said I'm the one you've been persecuting, I know how this story ends, and it's not me going home back to my home, my family, and happily ever after. It's like I'm I'm like okay, this is it for me, and so I think Paul accepts, but because it doesn't end there for Paul, I think is why he can so honestly say like. I have no regard for my life apart from the gospel. If I do this, 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 and this, and I don't have, it doesn't matter. Because I, I kind of seem to think that that's got to be a near-death experience for him. And so his, he literally regards his life as nothing going forward. Well, if we go against Christians, we are persecuting Christ. He is our father. He is, and his, the church is his bride, and we are the children. So we are. If I go against you, 
and you, I'm persecuting your dad. Yeah, so that's true. You I mean, we, yeah. You're persecuting Jesus we, Christ. We can't love Christ and not his church, absolutely. That, that's right. So don't you think, parents, like when uh, the Lord spoke to him and did strike him blind, thinking, I'll never see Jesus, I'll never be able to talk straight to him or anything, and all of a sudden, there he was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. That, that's also a good reminder, though, in that instance. I mean, obviously, the Lord used Paul's built nature as a. Absolutely. Therefore, but it's also a warning to us of how quickly in this world, if we add a little bit to the Bible or to service, and you have people that are developed for God, but it's the wrong information to take it quickly, a whole church or whatever, down the wrong path. Yeah. It's a good reminder to you be vigilant, I guess. Absolutely. All teaching the things that could creep in there. And we add to it and go, oh, it's not a big deal. We're still worshiping God. There's there's two principles kind of baked into what you're getting at. And one I kind of plan to get to next week, so I'll save it for that. But to sort of get at it, one is that in my own experience, the people who are the hardest to talk to the Bible about, the hardest to convert from whatever their preconceived notions of religion are, are often your strongest defenders once you win them because they are dyed in the wool. They're zealous people for what they believe. Whereas sometimes the people who you can read a couple scriptures to and baptize don't always stick like you would hope. And so there's, I think that's absolutely a principle that we see in Paul that I totally see in the world today. The other one is when you talk about just being uh, zealous for sometimes for traditions, as Paul says, you know, in my former life of Judaism, I was advancing from my mind, so zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Um, I think we can very easily in the church from good places be led astray by people just because they are zealous for their cause. And I completely agree with you on that, that sometimes it's, it's why I always tell people we ought to be careful of anybody who wants us to do something for them based on the fact that they're Christian. I'm, that makes me very suspicious of people. And that is increasingly common in, in, on social media and in public society today because we can talk about how some of our, we certainly have ideas that are not very popular. <laughs> Let's just be honest. We certainly have beliefs and tenets of our faith and doctrine and teachings that are not very popular. But in general, especially in certain parts, in, in our part of the country, it is very popular to be Christian. So as a result, you have people who will tell you they're a Christian and then want you to do something. And that, that always makes me suspicious for, for this very reason, as you mentioned, that I'm, I'm immediately like, where are you going? Because I don't, I don't feel like if, it, it, just as a general rule, if you've got to tell me you're a Christian and I don't see that by the way you're acting, now I'm even more suspicious of, okay, where, where is this going? Um, I had some notes on our slides. We'll start off with those uh, next week as we wrap up the end of chapter one and begin chapter two. Thank you guys.